the Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Think you can't get better value? Think again. 10% bigger dividends when you bet direct with Tote Plus at tote.co.uk. Welcome to the show. I'm Emmett Kennedy, joined by the one and only Lucy Russell Hughes. Welcome back, Lucy. Hello. Thanks. Thanks again, Emmett. Big weekend to look back on. Group 1 performances. Group 1 shocks. Uh, to a certain extent, at Haydock. Some people not impressed with the first race that we're going to talk about. And um, a lot of stories that we need to get stuck into as well as we um, talk about the impending return of Gordon Elliott. Tumble, yeah. Tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Uh, Stephen Mann. Ugh. And uh, lots more. Um, including whether or not we can attend race courses with a COVID passport in our pocket. Yes or no? Uh, we'll find out all about that with uh, Lucy over the course of the next hour. Uh, Baid made his Group 1 debut yesterday. There were options for him, and Jim Crowley had said to me on the final following that they were absolutely gutted that they missed out on running in the St. James's Palace Stakes. So it's very clear that they've always held him in the highest of regard. Um, he was twos on. He was exceptionally short. It was a real disappointment from my perspective The Poetic Flair wasn't there. Um, but the decision was made by Jim Bulger to go for Irish Champions Weekend instead, uh, which means that, ironically enough, I'm right and Rory's wrong, which rarely happens, but he's going to go for the Group 2 over a mile, and we'll see what happens there. Um, but he did still have Group 1 quality horses to take on. He had last year's French 2000 Guineas winner. Uh, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know. He's been a big disappointment. Uh, Victor Ladorum. Uh, but more importantly, he had Snow Lantern and he had Order of Australia and Lope Fernandez. Uh, so there was a, a decent enough field here for him to take on. Um, he was twos on there, threes on here. And I thought it was a really impressive Group 1 start for a horse that we're going to see next year. But I did see some people crabbing it. Mm, I'm, I'm surprised because... For a, a horse like that to win a Group One over a, in France, um, win it by a, a big enough margin as well by over a length. Um, first sort of step into Group One company, I thought he was tremendously impressive uh, to handle everything, to handle the travelling over to France, to handle his first step into Group One company. As you say, I think the the couple of the horses in it, probably Victor Le Dorum and Snow Lantern, were probably his biggest rivals. Um, I, I know you say Victor Ladorum hasn't done anything this season, but you know you have to remember he was a Group One winner last year as a three-year-old, and then he was he was obviously racing against Order Australia as well by by ease. Um, and Order Aust- Australia, I thought, was given a very positive ride by Ryan Moore, very similar to how th- this horse won um, over seven furlongs at, at the Curra not so long ago. I thought Ryan Moore get, gave that horse a, a very similar sort of running. So no, I thought Baid was so impressive and. Um, flew down the outside um, of, all, of all the horses and um, did what um, a, a favourite horse should do. Well, he's a very short favourite in the end. He was one to two. And he, he's, yeah, very much progressed from his Goodwood win. And I thought his Goodwood win was extremely uh, impressive. So uh, for him to win in the manner that he did at Longsham over the weekend was fantastic. And, and I think all roads will now lead to the champion's day at Ascot and, and that'll be fascinating to see whether him and Palace Pia, well who comes out on top um, in all honesty it'd be very fascinating yeah he's in the QE2 but William Haggis was at Payne's uh, I should say Maureen Haggis actually uh, who is the assistant but more importantly his wife um, but it's great that 
that doesn't get talked about enough, by the way, that Maureen is such a, an integral part of everything that William does, that they oh. are, they're not just husband and wife. She's also the, assist, the assistant trainer there. Um, so she was speaking on behalf of everybody involved. Um, uh, I think one of the great things about this is that um, Sheikh Hamdan al-Maktoum's daughter, uh, Sheikh Hissa, is actually the one who is out in front and leading the way because one of the things that was told to me by, or I should say said to me by a, a leading person within British racing was that the frustrating thing is that she's very passionate about racing, but that because of the culture, she would not be allowed to take center stage. And that's been completely turned on its head. And she's very much center stage. And she's made it her business to go and meet each and every person involved at Shadwell. Um, whether that's on the breeding side of things or in the training and uh, jockey side of things in the UK and in Ireland. And I'm deeply impressed by that. And she comes across very well. So um, that's great. It, that's fantastic because she really carries the, the torch and carries the flame that um, Amdan al-Maktoum obviously did for so many years. Um, and Angus Gold will retire at the end of the year, but they're, they're saying that it's almost certain that he is going to stay in training as long as he stays fit but that they don't want him to run on deep ground, which gives Ascot a problem. Because if we end up in a Champions Day like last weekend, then or last year, I should say, last weekend. Yeah, Champions Weekend was last. I think I have COVID. I wasn't going to say <laughs> this. I think I genuinely do. And it's probably messing with my head. Um, and it might just be paranoia, because I'm double vaccinated and I have my COVID cert. But for the reason that I think I have it, and I'm waiting on the results... I will not be able to go to our Champions Weekend this weekend, and that really kills me. But anyway, uh, we're we're pretty certain he's going to stay in training. But they're in terms of his next target, they don't want to run him on bottomless ground. They don't want to run him on soft ground, even though they were emphasizing, or I should say, Maureen was emphasizing that it was deep ground when he won so impressively at, at Goodwood. But he beat what he was entitled to beat that day, and that's why I was so impressed with this because it was a part of me actually thought. The more I looked at the race, sometimes you overthink things, and I definitely overthought this race, because Rory could not hear of defeat for Baid. Um, whereas I th looked at it more deeply, and I started to think, Order of Australia is going to beat him, because of the ride that Ryan Moore was going to give him. I knew it would be a positive ride, and um, he's given him uh, he's given him a, a bit of a fright. But as you said, in the end, it's a length and a quarter in Group One company. The official line is no impression on leader towards finish. Like Bayid is one ease down. He's 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 won easily. I know that the official line says driven out, but it's not really. Like Jim Crowley knows he has the race under control. He looks at the screen and he goes, Yeah, Grant, thanks. Done. And he had his ears pricked as well, the horse. So that would suggest he was doing it more or less uh, not easily, but there was still a bit left in the tank, which is really nice to see. Yeah, that's always uh, an indication that there is something left, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, most certainly. I, I think he, um, yeah, I think the manner in his victories are, are very smart. Um, yeah, for a horse to prick his ears going towards the line. Yeah, that, that would suggest he's not under maximum drive. Um, so, yeah, I can certainly see more in Haggis's concerns possibly about running the horse on really, really soft going. Um, sort of that might hinder the, the horse's natural uh, ability. So, and, and a horse of that caliber, I think the William, I think the Hags team are very mindful. 
I think they're not a sort of training operation that would run the horse uh, for the sake of for, for the sake of running him. Um, he, yeah, I think that's their operation, and it's it's very good. So does that mean that you would consider if they didn't run in the QE2, if for some reason we don't have a beautiful day like today, as we're recording on mm. Monday, and we end up with the kind of ground that we ended up with last year, that they decided, nah, oh, hell no, we're not running him. Uh, we're not going to risk I mean, him in, in that. Would he potentially go to Del Mar or would they just go, that's it for the season, we'll see you next year, everyone? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they did say that's it for this season because they, they are that sort of um, training operation, aren't they? Um, the Haggis team, they do, they are very mindful with their horses. So, um, But then, yeah, you wouldn't put it past them if they were to... Um, travel the horse out to Del Mar in November that there's quite a big sort of um, time gap between now and November so I, I presume they know the horse well and um, they know whether they'll han- he'll handle the um, the traveling and the distance out there he's obviously tra- he's obviously traveled well and proven he can race abroad having one at the weekend so perhaps Del Mar will be um, a sort of a better target in terms of ground. I'm pretty certain that Josh, who we had on the show last year from the Breeders' Cup, is on the phone to Angus Gold and to William Haggis going, man, you got to come over. Come on, man. <laughs> Delmar, you just got to be part of it, man. So much money, prestige. Come on. Josh, that's a horrible impression <laughs> of Josh, but I'll have to do, I'm afraid. Um, a lovely guy who I was talking to the other day and um, hope all is well with the Breeders' Cup team as they uh, build up to the incredible weekend again. Um, he's got a beautiful pedigree. See the stars out of a King Mambo mare. Um, that is proper Group 1 form at Order of Australia in second, given the fact that we're talking about last year's Breeders' Cup mile winner and a horse who went on to distinguish himself very, very well after that. You're in a fine race uh, at Chatin in Group 1 company. He's won over seven furlongs, as you said, beating Njord uh, at the Curra. Yeah, that was a Group 2 and he was entitled to win it, but he was right back to more like his old self at Deauville uh, last time out against Palace Pier. And there's clearly group ones to be one with them and he's enhanced his record um as we wrap it up what did you make of the run of snow lantern yeah she was a bit flat wasn't she i was a bit disappointed but um having said that it was her first trip abroad um racing against uh colts as well i think she's she's obviously a fairly um run tremendously well this season behind um mares and fillies you know alcohol free and, and that sort of and she, obviously she ran a tremendous race at, in the Cambridgeshire. Uh, sorry, the, the Falmouth Cambridgeshire. I was going to say, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody <laughs> can make mistakes. Maybe you've got COVID too. <laughs> Maybe. Um, no, the Falmouth, didn't she? She ran a tremendous race. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that was one of the races of the season, that race. You know, Snow Lantern, Mother Earth, Alcohol Free. So uh, racing against horses of her own sex. So perhaps, yeah, last... This time at Longchamp, she was just a bit flat. Um, be interesting to see where they go next with her. Well, she had no right to win the Falmouth. And I think Simon Holt's debut was that Monday after that. And he was saying that if you ran that race again, you you yeah. probably see a different result. And he was mm. of the mindset that Lady Bothorp would probably be the one that would come through and win. Um, but he said that you know things did not go at all to plan for alcohol-free and that Oshin was just kind of stuck in a situation where there was no pace on, so he just had to go. And Mother Earth was just nailed in the final strides, um, which is actually 
held final strides as the official description of that. So that's pretty accurate. But the fact that she then went on afterwards to to run um, a pretty monstrous race uh, behind um, Alcohol Free, who did turn the tables, um, kind of living up to Simon's prediction, uh, behind Poetic Flair, just meant that I, I thought that she would run a bigger race. But in hindsight, these are all... Baid is a big baby. You know, he didn't race as a juvenile, so he's learning with every start. And this was only his fifth ever start, and it's on foreign soil. So there's a lot to him here that he's had to to learn on the job. And I thought Jim Crowley wrote him with supreme confidence. And mm. she has finished in behind Victor Ladorum, who does, as you said, bring Group 1 form and Group 2 form, I think, from this year, um, and has finished in front of November, who could have gone to Germany, but they decided to take in this instead. And uh, Lope Fernandez, who just continues to confound, is just, ugh. I think it needs to be a road. I think it needs to be proper good to firm ground for Lope to run his race. But anyway, um, we'll find out more about him, I'm sure. But uh, races to be won with Order of Australia, definitely. How do you now think of the QE2? So the QE2, yeah. let's, let's just assume that on the day we get good to soft. It's Palace Pier, Poetic Flair, Baid. Mm. How do you go? I've, I've stuck with Palace Pier all season. Um, and I think he's, he's such a good miler. I think he, even as an older horse this year, he's unbeaten. And, uh, and I think ground-wise, he's very versatile as well. He, he's one on um, good ground to heavy ground. And they do say, um, if you're a good horse, you go on any ground. Mm. I think he presents the most um, sort of, he's versatile that in that respect. So, yeah, Palace Pier for me, I, I've, he, he's blown me away this season. Um, I think, yeah, Baid's performance last time out um, just recently, that was very impressive. But as you say, it'll have to be, and no, you wouldn't want soft, so it'd be good to soft. We wouldn't want any softer than that for him. And then um, Poetic Flair, who has done absolutely nothing wrong this season. He just had a lot of racing. And I think Palace Pier is um, superior, in, in my opinion, to anything else on the day. Um, yeah, you could be right. You could be right. I, I, every, I don't know why everybody still can't forgive Palace Pier for that one bad run last year at Champions Day. That's one one bad run. <laughs> because he was horse. odds on, Lucy, and odds <laughs> on favourites don't lose. What what's wrong with you? That's that's I I can't figure it either, quite frankly, because he's done everything. He's done everything. He beat Alpine Star for goodness sakes, giving her weight <laughs> and the beating in the process. Like he's he, he won the St James's Palace stakes. Um, Circus Maximus was five lengths behind. Circus Maximus was an absolute monster of horse. Did, did he go on and win a Group One after that as well, or am so I? Ma- I know, I'm, I'm wrong about that. I'm wrong about that. I'll have to. I'll have to uh, hold hold my hands up and say that I'm not quite uh, correct about that. But he did go and finish second in the Breeders' Cup Mile, which broke my heart, as you all know, on the night. Um, so he's five lengths clear of Circus Maximus Palaspear as a three-year-old who's finished in, finishing second in the, in the Breeders' Cup mile and really should have won the race because Order of Australia shouldn't have even, even been there. He only got in as a reserve. Damn you, Order of <laughs> Australia! And um, he, he's, he's a monster of horse. He's, he's an absolute monster. But I think Poetic Flair is a monster as well who 
who just came up short against Palace Pier in Deauville last time out. And it was a case of he was on the rail and Palace Pier was wide. And I wonder if the two of them were closer together. Would that have been a different result? I don't want to take anything away from the victor because I I utterly agree with you that he is a monster. But I also think Poetic Flair is. There are certain listeners to the Final Furlong podcast who I'm sure are screaming, how can you not mention the Revenant, you idiot? The defending champion yeah. is going to come back. Um, Real World could t- take a step up into Group 1 company as well. Who knows? Alcohol Free, of course, could go there too. But it, on paper, potentially, that could be an epic race. Yeah. Or the rain just falls out of the sky and it gets completely destroyed and everybody just dodges. Everyone just goes elsewhere. Because there's no way Palace Pier runs on that ground again. And... Um, Revenant will be the only runner. <laughs> <laughs> There's the call from Lucy. Back now. You, you can you can get sevens. <laughs> He'll love the He'll love the ground. The only one who will, uh, if it turns out that way. So uh, you be with um, Palace Pier. Uh, they're joint favourites. Most bookmakers now for the QE2. So, um, six but, to- yeah, just the fact that the Haggis team would be concerned on uh, really soft ground. Um, that's that's my only thought. And then Palace Pier, look, one bad run in his whole career, um, for me, speaks volumes. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. Um, he also couldn't be owned by better people, in the sense that they'll do what the Haggis team want. They're not gonna they're not going to put pressure on the Haggis team and say no, you must run the QE two. But it's raining and we don't think it's gonna suit him. Run him. That's not gonna happen. So, and if they then say, we don't want to go to Delmar, we would like to bring him back next year as a four-year-old. Because he looks to me like a horse who will... He's a little bit unfurnished. He looked to me, and he looks like a horse who's going to fill out a bit more. But as you watch him, what do you think? No, I certainly agree with that. And, and as you say, with him racing on further into his career, they, they have got a breeding operation to think of as well, Shadwell. So that, that, that's probably why they are a bit more mindful, perhaps, than other owners. But yeah, Baid probably if there were any negativity towards his his win last time out probably the fact that we haven't um as you say perhaps seen that furnished that full finished article from him although uh, which suggests there's even more to come which is which is great yeah that is another thing the, the fact that he's winning by the distances he is means that there is probably a little bit more to come so i'm very excited to see what happens i'd love to see him in the QE2 against Poetic Flair and Palace Pier. And if that doesn't happen, I'd love to see him at Delmar. And I think mm. Jim Bulger, not the biggest Breeders' Cup man, but I think he'd go. I think he'd uh, he'd roll the dice. Um, Josh, you better call Jim as well uh, and make sure that he's coming. Um, because the thing, the thing you were saying about uh, Poetic Flair is that he's been on the go a long time. You're right, but he still hasn't shown any signs of the petrol tank emptying. And until that... Until we see that, there's no point in going, oh, he's going to be over the top. Because he keeps running monstrous races, and Jim Bulger's a genius. So Yeah, he's surprising us. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be that surprised. I don't know what the caliber of opposition is going to be. Maybe you should look this up um, for Irish Champions Weekend. Where in Ireland, folks, we can have 4,000 people in attendance. Ooh, for goodness sakes. 40,000 people can go to the All-Ireland Final and 4,000 people can turn up to um, the 
Irish Champions Weekend. What a load of absolute nonsense. Um, so the Boomerang Mile. I should say the Clipper Logistics Boomerang Mile. Um, I owe in that. If he takes his chance, he'll win. Max Sweeney's in there as well, interestingly enough. God, you'd be disappointed if he didn't win that race. Jesus Christ, he'd, he'd want to win that. Okay. <laughs> Drives off his racing poetic flair, doesn't he? He does. Uh, and I just think he likes quick conditions. You remember his guineas win at Newmarket was quite quick that day. Yes, you are right. And the forecast for this week is is good, I believe. Isn't that right, Siri? Go on, Ed. <laughs> Siri, what's the weather forecast for the week? Here's the forecast for this week. Don't just tell me. Tell us. Tell us what it is. <laughs> That's not good to me. That's not fancy. <laughs> She's just completely not not responding to anything I say. I didn't catch that. <laughs> Could you try again? Tell me what the weather forecast is going to be on Saturday in Ireland. The forecast is for rain in Dublin Saturday. Oh, the fuck. high will be 17 degrees and the low will be 12. We're boxed. Uh, We're we boxed. rather the other, the other answer is better. No answer. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. What what nonsense are you talking about? Uh, Emirati Anna wins the Betfair Sprint Cup, beating the Usain Bolt of the equine world, as he was dubbed by his um, connections, Starman by Shorthead. I'm very intrigued to hear what you have to say about his run. Uh, Chill Chili finishing third with Happy Romance, landing each way money. Yes, they were betting four places in this race at 25s. And uh, I'll take that. Thanks very much. Um, we really should have stuck with Emiratiana, who ran a monster race in the Nunthorpe. And for some reason, well, to be fair, the logic from Rory was sound in that uh, it's not as big a price. So, no. Um, but he's shown a massive sign of improvement and it's terrific stuff from Kevin Ryan. So let's give him his due, first of all. Um, he's raced freely, but crucially, Lucy, he's been up with the pace. He's been up with the leaders. He was amazing. He was the last horse off the bridle. Um, you say, yeah, he raced off the pace and he was like that the whole way. Last off the bridle, this horse has really relished sort of um, dropping back to sprinting um, divisions. I think Kevin Ryan, he obviously spoke after the race. He's, he's had kept the faith with this horse and he, he's shown plenty at home. And that, that run last time out, as you say, um, behind Winter Power is just phenomenal form um, to finish second in the Nuntalk. Massive price, 40 to 1. So, yeah, he's really thrived being dropped back and tripped this horse. He's a horse they campaigned over a, a much longer distance. I think he was running over a mile, sort of. Um, last season or the season before um so he's obviously relished dropping back and and even dropping back to five furlongs he's 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 won over five furlongs this season then was second behind winter power last time out in an uncle five furlongs so very surprising but he's obviously relished um going that speed and, and he's obviously blessed with a lot of speed as well and uh no i, I thought it was a, a fantastic ride as well um, but yeah, as I said, he was last at the bridle and he was very keen enough. So I thought for him to last home was uh, really impressive. He's had to turn around a five-length deficit from their meeting in July, but he did have the pure raw speed in this race. And 
um, it was used to the utmost impact by Andrea Tsini. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, on the other side, you then have Tom Arquand and Ed Walker's Starman, who was obviously been very hotly talked up for this race, with some people just saying they couldn't see past him, um, and was trying to emulate Dream Ahead and Harry Angel, who'd won the July Cup by taking this race as well. And the fact that they did it in 2011 and 2017, but other, other horses have not in the last 10 years, just goes to show you how difficult it is. Uh, what did you make of his run overall? I'm still scratching my head a bit with him because... So am I. Unlike, yeah, unlike Emiratiana, he was actually first off the bridle, um, this horse. And Starman, I've always thought he he races a bit like that. He always races a bit... He's he's a very workmanlike horse, I, I think. Um, it's probably why I, I haven't been overtaken with him. But to be honest, he's a Group 1 horse, so I should be blown away by him, considering that he won the July Cup. Um, and then I thought actually he was very impressive on debut, uh, seasonal debut this this year at York. I thought he was very, very impressive that day. Um, I think it was in the Group 2 race. Yeah, the Duke of York um, race that they have in the May meeting. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I just thought he was first off the bridle this time around. Um, he's only beaten ahead, so certainly ha- hasn't been um, beaten that far. Um, just scratching my head a little bit as to why, but um, he's, he's still run a tremendous race. Uh, he's got a huge stride, this horse, as well. So um, I think he just takes a lot of time through, through his races to sort of um, to get going, almost, because he, he hasn't really got that... Um, he's not really blessed with that early speed like Emiratiana has. He just um, he just does cover a lot of ground, Sarman. Um, but no, I, I, I still wouldn't be disappointed at all. He's only beaten ahead, but I think a lot of people... Uh, would be disappointed because he went off at such a short price. I think people were betting on him um, sort of days and weeks ahead of this contest. So I can see why people are, are a bit disappointed, but he's still a very good horse. Yeah, but you need to be able to look past that. I mean, this is where the pure form analysis comes into it. And it's not about... Believe me, I've been there where I've, I've looked at the result of a race and gone, how? How did that happen? <laughs> Like, how did that horse get beaten? And it's because it happens regularly around the world. Horses aren't what you think they are, or they're not as good as you first thought, or they're not machines. And even machines break down. Like Formula One cars, sometimes Lewis Hamilton gets taken out of a race. It doesn't always, usually he dominates, but he's not always going to win because that's just not how the world works. And it's certainly not in the world of racing. And like... What kind of a different race does Creative Force run? And we'll come to him in a second if he doesn't almost unseat his rider at the start. Like, he's he's eating grass, basically, when the gates open. Um, I love that horse. Uh, but he's... I just wonder about the, the whole division. Like, the entire uh, sprinting division. That Starman was seen as... This is the, this is the hero. This is the horse that's going to go forward. We've... We've lost Dream of Dreams for the season and hopefully we'll get him back next year, but that remains to be seen. He won the race that Starman was going to run in, the Diamond Jubilee. It was absolutely the right thing not to go for that race um, because he would have been running on ground that wouldn't have suited him. But what we've seen is Oxted get beaten. If you look at if you look at a horse like Dragon Symbol, right, so Dragon Symbol is first past the post at Ascot and then has the race taken off him by Campanelle. Justice for Oshin. 
I'm with Yoshin. Um, I'm the only one who thinks that. With <laughs> everybody else is like, "No, nah, you're talking bollocks." Uh, he gets beaten by Starman. He then himself gets beaten by Soisa, and then finishes in front of Soisa uh, when finishing third behind Winter Power with Emradiana finishing second, and Emradiana builds on that and goes and wins here. Winter Power. Um, uh, having one at York we haven't seen since, obviously, and it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But just are these like Chil Chili was in that race as well, for example, and and Chil Chili's finishing position in the end uh, at the weekend was was third. So are these sprinters just beating each other? Like, is that what's what's ultimately happening? Are they just? Is it just a constant wheel of um, what's that new Rosamund Pike show on Amazon Prime? The Wheel of Time. The Wheel of Time looks like a Game of Thrones type show that's coming to Amazon Prime. Trust me, you're going to like it, I think. Promos look damn good anyway. And is that the sprinting division? Is it just a wheel? And the wheel keeps on turning. And we can just, like, each sprinter will beat each other with time. Well, that's what usually happens in handicap sprints, <laughs> then. <isn't> it? <laughs> I suppose that's what you're trying to get at, isn't it? We, we, need, we need that group one sprinter that's um wins it wins everything i so hoped you were going to say that <laughs> rather than horses that just keep reversing the form so then we never really know where we stand uh, yeah because because that, yeah. that that's exactly the point like oxted was unstoppable you know he was the july cup winner last year and he wins the king stand this year and that was fantastic to see um but hasn't gone on since and i'm just i'm i'm with the exception of the incredible Batash, who himself had his days and had his moments, we don't really have a consistent Group 1 sprinter. And we haven't had one for a while. Mm. I suppose we had Harry Angel, didn't we, and, and Batash. Um, as True. you say, this this season... Blue Point. Uh, Blue Point, exactly, who won both uh, the big sprint races at Royal Ascot on the same week. That was yeah. fantastic. And and did back-to-back uh, King Stands. Yeah. No, we but aside from them, to... though, the rest are crap. <laughs> <laughs> they keep beating each other. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. They just keep reversing each other's form. Um, this is this is horses, isn't it? Isn't it? Some days they run better. On Some days they feel better like us than... The next day, they might not feel so good. Yeah. Um, Creative Force ran a monstrous race, all things considered, I thought. Yeah, a lot of people like this horse, don't they? Creative Force. He's just very, very chilled about about his racing. and He's got a really nice manner about him, Creative Force. And as you say at the start, he well, he lost his race at the start, didn't he? Mm. Uh, I think that's sort of testament to it. He, he is a sort of very laid-back individual. And obviously, he stumbled at coming out of the store, so had had no... No chance, and then to be honest, I had no luck in running either. I thought in the uh sprint cup was sort of jostling for places. Um, and then in the running, he he kind of he was running on actually. I know he's six, he wasn't actually beaten that far. He just did come up against a lot of a, well, not a wall of horses, but there were a lot of horses around him, and the gaps didn't come quite quick enough. Um, so yeah, I, I thought actually, considering he finished six, I thought actually he didn't get beaten that far. No, I thought he ran a fine race, and there's there's more prizes to be won with them, with a little yeah. bit of a little bit of juice in the ground as needed, I, I suspect for him. 
but once he gets yeah. that and once he doesn't blow the start then he'll he'll take a nice prize and um i mean even his defeat in the july cup it was only two lengths between him and starman so yeah and and he's not that far off dragon symbol so let me confuse things even further by giving you the betting for the uh, champion sprint uh, at Ascot. Again, we have to assume that the going is going to be good for Starman to turn up. Um, who do you think is favourite? Have you seen the betting for this? The Sprint Cup on Champions Day? Yeah. I don't like that race. It just always produces a horse that shouldn't be winning. But yeah, go on. I haven't seen, <laughs> I haven't seen the betting, no. You're welcome, Ascot. You're, you're welcome, <laughs> Champions Day. <laughs> Season, isn't it? And this, like you say, and we haven't really got a sprinter um, that is taking all the group ones in its stride. It, a horse will win that, that probably shouldn't be winning it. Before people go completely nuts, by the way, Sands of Mali done one triumphant. Glen Shield is a legend, but has not been a legend this season. Has not That's run up it. at all to form this season. So, That's it. so and they're the, they're the last three winners of the race. There is some substance to my thoughts there, isn't there? Oh, big time. There always are, Lucy. There always are. Uh, the current betting sees... No, they to win since, so... Say again? Sorry, no, I don't think any, many of those horses have gone on to win since that you just named. Well, certainly not at Group 1 level, anyway. I uh, don't think Sands of Mali did. I know he stands at no. stud now. His fee is, what, yeah. six and a half K? Um, but, yeah, disappointing, really. Yeah. Oh, did he? Oh, wait. That's not right, Tuella. He didn't. He didn't, Tuella. Tuella was trying to tell me that he did back-to-back Ascot and uh, Ascot Group 1s on Champions Weekend. I was like, no, that, that didn't no. happen. And he didn't. Um, you're very, very good, Tuella. But uh, stick to producing. And um, let, um, let, let, let Lucy do the forum. Uh, all right, so the market. Um... Which is arguably more open than some would would suggest, but anyway, here we go. The co-favorites are Starman and Dragon Symbol, which kind of proves my point. Then it's Creative Force, Breeders' Cup hero, Glass Slippers, who we love because we put her up on the show last year. You better believe we're remembering that, and we're going to see her at the weekend on our Champions Weekend. Then Kinross, right? Nahar. Twilight Spinner, who's only just moved to Joseph O'Brien, um, having previously run for David O'Mara, has been sold and is now with Joseph. So we'll see. I th- actually, is he going to make his debut for Joseph at the weekend? He is. He's going to run in the Flying Five, as far as I know. So we'll see. Or she is. Sorry, I've misgendered her. Oh, no. Uh, Glen Shield 14s. Rohan 14s. Alcohol freeze in there. Yeah, why not? Uh, Art Power 16s came from the dark 20s. Happy Romance 20s. It's a mess. If you're <laughs> if yeah. you're confident about that market, good luck. Good luck. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably, if I was going to have a tent, and I have no interest in having a tentative bet in this race, but if I was going to, it would be creative force because a little bit of juice in the ground, I think, does help him. And he's an ascot winner. I know it was seven furlongs, but... Still, I'd probably take him at 12s. Because if this season is showing us anything, it's that all these sprinters can beat each other. Mm. And on that that bombshell. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> by the way, he Emirati Anna is going to go for the Breeders' Cup. So Josh will be delighted yeah. with that news. And that's good. That's good to hear. Kevin Ryan seemed very bullish about his chances of going there, didn't he? So that's great. Yeah, Ed caught him like before um, he could go and, and welcome him in, which was brilliant because he, he caught him kind of mid, mid-celebration. And um, it's just brilliant to see Kevin Ryan with a good horse because he's he's an exceptionally talented trainer. And um, it's £6 million in prize money in the last five seasons. Uh, $1.1 million this year. He's a bloody genius of a trainer. And um, he doesn't always have the best of talent to go to war with. But he, what he does, I mean, even the, the win with Bergerac, I thought at the weekend was was impressive and just how well placed he was in that handicap at York. So um, I think that was yesterday. Uh, he's a genius of a trainer. And um, beware Breeders' Cup horses. Beware. Um, by the way, Dragon Symbol wins at the weekend. If you want to go and have an anti-post bet, get stuck in. You bolt up. Crush. And don't forget that O'Sheen Murphy gave us that exclusive on the Final Farm podcast about a month and a half ago. He will go to Irish Champions Weekend, and he will run in the Flying Five. Thank you very much, Yoshi. Uh He's 100, 100 to 30, so get on. And uh, get the readies on, and then celebrate. Uh, all right, briefly, Island Brave wins the Oldborough Cup, handicap over a mile and six. Uh, Noble Masquerade for Holly Doyle and Eve johnson Haddon went from looking like he was going to win to being absolutely 101 to be placed to just ooh, something seemed to go wrong with him and he fin- ended up finishing fifth. Yeah, Island Brave has been a tremendous horse for Heather Main and obviously, well, I'd have thought one of her best horses, if not the best horse in her yard. So uh, great for this older horse to um, sort of get back to winning ways. And I think he, he's always a horse that's that's won re- run really well in the Northumberland Plate um, in the past as well. So he, he's a he's a really solid sort of class two Saturday horse. So I'm really pleased for Heather Main that he's um, he, he won at the weekend. He sort of virtually made all the running and stuck to the inside rail. And I thought it was a tremendous ride by Sylvester de Souza. But as you say, yeah, Noble Masquerade did stop very quickly, and he actually did take the lead under Holly Doyle. Um, was about half a on to go. And I thought Island Brave um, was very, very brave, like his namesake, to uh, to get back on the line. But uh, perhaps Noble Masquerade was um, just a bit found out with the trip because that was his first time over a mile and six. So he was stepping up from from a mile and three to a mile and six on Saturday. So that perhaps just the extra three furlongs uh, hindered his running. But no, I thought it was a tremendous run by Island Brave. And, and Nicholas T was back in third. He's a horse that's always overlooked you know he's Northumberland plate winner and won a, a very valuable handicap at York uh, for the Lady Amateur Riders this season so and he's a horse that they campaign over all sorts of trips and he just always runs a very good race so I think he he's often very overlooked in the market as well but yeah take nothing away from the winner I thought um he was given a fine ride by Sylvester this season yeah fine ride um he's an absolute genius and um He's facing a very, very strong challenge. Uh, I completely agree with you about Noble Masquerade. I don't think anything has come to light. So I suspect that ultimately it's a case of just dropping him back to a mile four and he'll be fine because Hartley's come there full of confidence that he's going to get the trip and he just ends up finishing out of the places. Um, mm. 
he says, having done an each way, lucky 63, uh, and uh, didn't listen to Rory Zalarki, who put up Island Brave on the show. So well done, Rory. Um, Heather Main sings opera to her horses in the morning. Does she? According, ah. to, according to Rory Delargy. <laughs> Unless that's the key to having a winner then. That's what you gotta do. Uh, they play yeah. they play Tip FM at Bally Doyle. To all the horses. Oh. Um, oh right. That's what they do there. And that's the greatest <laughs> training facility in the world. So listen to Tip <laughs> FM if you want, folks, and you can thank me later. And I'm not giving Tip FM a mention because my good friend Ronan is now running it <laughs> along with Claire FM. Um, uh, it's a genuine story. They they um, they play Tip FM across the uh, across the barn and um, uh, to all the the horse boxes. And when they're in the the work area in the morning. Um, Tip FM is blaring at them, so there you go. Um, <coughs> secret to Bally Oil success. Play Tip FM. Uh, Golden Flame from Mark Johnston and Joe Fanning. Once again, making all and uh, coming out on top. Valley Forge, I was really disappointed with here. Uh, I have to say, I love this horse. I loved how brave he was in winning at York, backing up a victory at Foss Lass. He'd run a, a monster race and defeated Doncaster prior to that. I was very disappointed with his performance, though. But Golden Flame made all for Joe Fanning. And again, Joe Fanning, just from the front, there's few better than him when on the lead. Yeah, exactly. And a Mark Johnson horse from the front is incredibly hard to peg back. So very similar to um, Island Brave, who who won the race after. So, you know, Joe Fanning stuck to the rail and um, virtually made all the running. So this is a horse who has a lot of experience as well. I just, I think everyone was disappointed with Valley Forge, perhaps um, didn't have as much experience. I know he he won the Melrose last time out, which was a tremendous performance. But prior to that, he'd been running in sort of novice company. Um, whereas the horse that won at Haydock, Golden Flame, Mark Johnson horse, um, has been sort of running in group contests. I think he ran in uh, one of the group races at Ast- Royal Ascot, oh, Queen's Vars, yeah, behind um, the well, the eventual winner, Kamari, who's a very smart horse, good dolphin horse. Um, so yeah, I just thought Valley Four was very disappointing. I I did wonder about the ground, um, because it was good to firm at Haydock on Saturday, um, although he was r- running on in the closing stages. So I thought maybe he was just a bit caught out on the quick quicker surface. Um, Valley Forge. I wonder whether how much um, the Melrose handicap victory is taken out of him. That was that was my thoughts for a. Uh, relatively inexperienced horse you don't know how much that could have taken out of him mentally as well as physically it wasn't that too long ago either his uh, Melrose victory so um perhaps we can slightly forgive him because I, he was very promising the way he was running on in the closing stages uh, yeah Valley Ford. that's that's fair uh I don't think it was the ground but I I do think it was potentially the hard race in York um because mm. the, the the ironic thing about that is the horse who finished 27 lengths behind and was a 66 to one shot for the race. Golden Flame wins. Yeah, so you know, he's he's had a really, in other words, he's weakened out of it two furlongs out. So he hasn't had the the full acid test that Valley Forge had where he's had to, to fight off not one, but two, in fact, three horses in the finish. Um, and... Um, Golden Flame hasn't, and Golden Flame also is a little bit more battle hardened as well. I mean, Valley Forge's career only began this year, so he's another horse who's learning on the job as well. To be fair, 
yeah, I just thought he looked a bit flat, Valley Forge, but then picked up in the closing stages. So, um, yeah, Golden Flame, very battle-hardened, as you say, and you'd expect that from a Mark Johnson horse. They're incredibly tough. Yeah, it was an attritional contest that day. Um, don't think a step up and trip would, would stop him. I think going to two miles would be easy enough for him, especially with the way you were describing how he was finishing towards the end. I, I would agree with that. I saw some people saying they need to go back. I'd, I'd go up. Um, but maybe give him a little bit of a break first. Uh, Hamish beats Hookham. So most people seem to be of the opinion that Hookham was going to win this, uh, considering the fact that he went off, please on. Um, Hookham brought into the race group form, having finished third at Ascot behind Wonderful Tonight, um, then went to York and uh, was victorious in group three company, uh, won another group three in the Jeffrey Freer at Newbury, and... Um, this was an attempt for the hat-trick of Group 3s and ultimately comes up short um, with Hamish for William Haggis had a fantastic weekend, bar from something we're about to talk about. Uh, what did you make of the race? Well, I thought fine training performance from William Haggis to get this horse back to winning off such a long layoff. And I think he surprised us and probably William Haggis as well because this horse went off at 9-1, to one, Hamish. Mm. Uh, and you think a, a sort of um, first time out uh, run around Kempton, not a mile and a half group three contest, probably just to get a bit of fitness into him. So I think um, connections and people watching on were probably a bit surprised that he was very warm in the prelims as well, Hamish, going to this race. But um, no, I thought it was a tremendous training performance. Um, and first time on the all-weather as well, Hamish. So he's always taken a liking to the surface he's a typical motivator i think he reminds me very much of motivator with that head carriage hamish but um yeah i thought hookham obviously had a shoulder top weight so he was a bit disappointing he wasn't beaten far but i just think um coming around the bend with two furlongs to go at kempton he, he was very much um sort of lacking the pace well he's very i think even prince of aaron was very outpaced to be honest i think hookham is very much suited to a galloping track like we've seen him win at newbury we've seen him win um, whereas we've seen him win at York, mm. very much a galloping track with a really long home straight. I think Kempton, when you come around that bend with two furlongs to go, it's very much um, sprinting right to the end. And I think he was possibly a bit outpaced. That that was my thoughts. I think he's much better on a big, long galloping track so he can use his stride to his advantage. I think that's a great show. And it's just one of those results that... Like, Prince of Aaron was beaten... Seven and a quarter lengths last year, um, but you're right; he was outpaced. And uh, right. yeah, and he, by the way, he was beaten by an able, so that's okay. It's yeah. only only one of the greatest of all time. Um, <laughs> so we 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 can be all right with that. Um, but this performance just was a, a little bit. Mm. Um, and Hamish was coming back after 442 days off the track, so. Uh, one hell of a performance. That being said, while there was success, and it was a very impressive success, um, I got this race badly wrong. I thought Warren was going to take all the beating. He's probably pronounced something else. I don't care. Uh, for Sir Michael Stout and Ryan Moore, he was slowly away, and that meant that he was going to find things difficult anyway, and he's had to come wide out of it, and then just ends up weakening away. But Chalkstream for the Queen and William Haggis and Kieran Fallon, who continues to impress in the saddle, was absolutely superb. Uh, 
the big story, though, was Candleford, who ends up being disqualified. The official line being from William Haggis, it is a disaster, and I'm mortified after the weigh-in woe, according to the, the trade paper. Um, can you explain exactly what went wrong here and how it, how something like this can happen? Well, I think what happened was William Haggis has admitted that he actually forgot to place uh, the weight cloth, didn't he, when he was actually saddling this horse, um, Candleford. He forgot to place um, one of the weight saddle cloths on, on his back. Um, so what happens with the jockey will weigh out with all his tack saddle saddle cloths and then the jockey will then hand it to the trainer to then go and saddle the horse so what's happened I presume uh, William Haggis has put put the tack down the saddle down the saddle pads down the floor ready to tack up the horse and he's obviously forgot to put on the saddle with the weight cloth um, and I presume William Haggis has never done anything like that before in his career so I just thought he'd be very embarrassed um, so that's obviously what's happened and unfortunately, because his horse Candleford actually ran a tremendous race, um, virtually made all the running, then got headed and then actually battled back to um, finish second. Obviously, he was disqualified in the end because uh, the jockey weighed in light, so didn't carry that uh, weight cloth. Um, William Harris has obviously forgotten to saddle, yeah. uh, put, on, put on under the saddle, which is incredibly unfortunate. And I, I just thought a mistake he won't make again. Oh, no. And very unlike him. Mm. From uh, well, he probably, the thing is with these trainers, they have a lot on their minds, don't they? I, mean, I think he obviously had Baid running out in France. I know it's no excuse, but he probably had a lot on his mind. Um, it's certainly no excuse. And I just thought he'd be very embarrassed about the situation. Yeah. Oh, no, I think I, I think to say that he's mortified to publicly yeah. come out and say that. You know, He didn't just arrogantly go, uh, um, and And Chalkstream <laughs> looks... Like, like the thing is, like you've settled the one-two, and then, oof, you know, you're you're disqualified, you're thrown out. Um, so true courage ends up getting second. I'm just gonna say, at least we know where it's, it's come from. There's been times where jockeys are weighed in light, and we don't know that they've sort of uh, a cloth has dro- dropped off in the middle of the race. And we we don't know, but at least this time we do know it was a, a trainer's error, so we can sort of see what happened. I wonder how many times has this actually happened, where it is a trainer at fault, and the trainer hasn't admitted it. Trainer's gone. Well, that, you stupid boy. <laughs> exactly. At least we know with this situation what what, what actually happened. That's that's true because I've I've heard stories of jockeys being adamant that they felt nothing come off and speaking to fellow jockeys who were behind them and seeing nothing come off. And, exactly. And also seeing you know going when watching replays and nothing comes off their horse. So yeah. that meant ipso facto it's the assistant trainer, it's the trainer, and they're like, "You stupid boy." Uh, <laughs> doing that but Chalkstream uh, did the job very well um, for the Queen who's been having a lot of winners lately uh, which is nice to see and um, well done to the Haggis team in that regard and well done to him for owning up to it uh, very briefly top secret was winner winner chicken dinner for Mr. Roy Delarkey so he'll be back on Thursday again to bang in more winners uh, for us what did you make of Eve Lodge finally so at Kempton in the um the Unibet three uni boosts a day Serena stakes. It really rolls off the tongue <laughs> that one, doesn't it? <laughs> that was very good. No, she she had the plum draw this filly, didn't she? In, in stall one around Kempton, bad to the rail, um, very overlooked in the market, sixteen to one. But um, I thought this filly was had some good form 
if you sort of look back to her debut run at Astorbot, she finished behind a horse uh, that I really like called uh, Get Ahead, who, who mm. ran in the Queen Mary at Ascot. Um, so, yeah, then she she did run at Royal Ascot this filly, um, Eve Lodge, and then they actually ran her in a novice after that. So I thought that was quite interesting. They obviously wanted her to have a bit more experience after her Royal Ascot um, attempt. So I thought it was a, a very straightforward display, and I, I was quite impressed, actually. They think a lot of Wings of War, so they'll probably be a little bit gutted that they got beaten here. But Of course, defeat, and he ran Yeah, defeat doesn't preclude him from going and winning another race. It doesn't preclude him from winning a Group 2. Um, oh, no, I think Wings of War had a lot of ground to make up, um, yeah. which he was just caught off a, a bit of the batch, sort of. He did have a lot of ground to make up, and if you're doing that on the in the middle of the track at Kempton, it's quite, it's quite a difficult ask, but no, I think they'll, they will be a bit disappointed, but that, that horse ran a really good race at York, didn't he? And one of the big sales race wins of war. So, um, he's finished second on this occasion, but you'd have thought he, he would win certainly again. Yeah. There's definitely a nice race in him. Uh, we've got some topics to discuss. Uh, first of all, I should emphasize that if you're using tote live streaming available, and as long as you've deposited into your account, you don't have to place a bet on the race. Which Toad are not going to like me saying, but hey, you can watch a race just by putting money in your account. Watch away. Um, so as long as there's money in your account, Lucy, you can watch as much racing as you want on Racing TV, Sky, whatever, uh, courtesy of Toad, who have also launched the Toad Guarantee, which applies to Irish and UK races. It's where your Toad win bet is settled at the higher of the tote dividend or the SP uh, as regulated by the Starting Price Regulatory Commission. Again, that really one rolls off the tongue. Um, and uh, Tote Plus, of course, is giving you a 10% bonus on top of your winnings. So they're going to apply a 10% bonus to each of your winnings where Tote Plus applies. And that's pretty much to every single bet in horse racing. But it's only available at tote.co.uk, tote.e, or the official Tote app. Get the gravy. It's there for you. We can't keep telling you. Just go and take it. Um, Gordon Elliott's back this week. So yes, he's never, never he, been out of the news. He, he's never been out of the news. Um, so he returns this week. He'll have plenty of options as to when it is he wants to. I think it's the eight. So it's two days' time. And... Um, there was a little bit of controversy about the fact that he was allowed to stay at Colantra. To be fair, that's his residence. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. So I don't really know in that regard what you're supposed to do. The license was taken off him. And uh, there are people saying that he should have been suspended for a whole lot longer. Um, but that being said, the IHRB made their decision. It was two weeks before Cheltenham. The BHA had already intervened, which I think was bang out of order because the BHA do not have any jurisdiction over Irish racing. And you either trust the IHRB, which Jim Bulger described. Nick Luck did an interview with Brian Kavanagh, who's ending his tenure as the CEO of um, Horse Racing Ireland. Jim Bulger said that it's one of the great losses to Irish racing and that he doesn't know how... I'm misquoting this, Nick, sorry but he doesn't know how Brian Kavanagh carried the burden of the IHRB on his back for all those years. 
So Bolcher, no fan of the IHRB. And um, he's a man who's been in the news quite a bit. So the IHRB decided that his suspension was 12 months. They would reduce it to six. They'd suspend six of them. But it meant that he was gone from Cheltenham, Aintree, Ferry House, and the Irish Grand National Meeting. He was gone from the Galway Festival, Punchestown, obviously. And one of the big losses, of course, that he's had is horses. Now, he's claimed that he's lost a dozen horses in, a, in an interview with Richie Forrestal in the Racing Post. I'm sorry, I think that's absolute bollocks. Uh, I think that's that's trying to save face. You've lost the Cheveley Park horses. Subsequently, on the back of the documentary on the BBC, you've lost what was left from Isaac Sweet and Sam Munir. But crucially, you've lost any future business that you get with them. There may still be some business that Chiefly Park will do. It's not like they're going to be entirely out of the sales game. They're not going to be as active as they once were. But uh, Isaac Sweet and Sam Munir are two of the biggest owners in the game. And now you don't have them. And we also learned the extent of the losses of horses that he had by seeing horses at Cheltenham. Because they weren't running in Denise Foster's name. They were running for uh, the horse who won the not-quite-four-miler went back to the man who trained the horse to win his point-to-points and then won. Um, his name is currently blanking on me because, sorry, I'm, I'm in full flat mode at the moment, including Breeders' Cup as well, so sorry about that. Everybody's going nuts. Apologies. You're shouting it at the radio. I know. Radio. Yeah, if you're driving your car and you're listening on the radio, then fine. Um... You're shouting at the speakers, I'm sorry, I can't think of the horse's name, and, and I bloody well backed him. But uh, he lost him. He lost horses to Joseph O'Brien. He lost horses to Noel Mead. He lost horses to some UK trainers as well. Um, there's then the issue of new people who are coming into racing, and are they sending horses to him? Now, a lot of owners have stuck with him, and a lot of owners have... Uh, very publicly back to him, most notably Gigginstown. The problem there being, in two years' time, Gigginstown are gone. Um, so it's great that you have their support right now, but they are out of the game in about two years. I think it's 57 horses they're sending to the horses and training sale. Is that right? In fact, thank you, Tuala. Aha! 42. Slight exaggeration on my part. Sorry about that. Tuala, you are redeemed. Um, so they're they're sending 42 of their own horses to the uh, September Horses and Training Sale uh, as they continue to downscale and eventually end. So what do you think of his comeback? Um, do you feel that the ban was sufficient enough and should we all just move on? Well, we should certainly move on, but I, I, I still don't feel like his ban was that long enough for me. I think he's, he's sort of come back quite quick. Uh, what, six months? It yeah. seems like it's flown by. Um, and as I said before, he hasn't really been out of the news, Emmett. I think um, I read one of his comments in, I think he did an interview, didn't he, ahead of his return this week that said, I hope I can get back to where I was before. And for me, I don't think he's actually been away that long. Um, I know you've spoken about the horses um, that have been taken away from him under the circumstances, but to be honest, I don't think he's been away that long for him to say, I, I hope I can get back to where I was before. Um, 
to be honest, I think I still think he's going to have success on the track because he's he's a good trainer, um, and he's obviously done well in the past with the horses that he's had at his stables. I don't think that that's not going to change. I still think he is going to have success on the track, and it wouldn't surprise me if if um, the success he has on the track following this comeback will um, entice owners to go back to him. To be honest, I don't think he's been away that long enough for him to say. Um, I hope I can be where I was before. But that's my own personal opinion. I don't know how much he has actually been affected by this um, sort of mentally. I, I think obviously it's been a real challenge for him, as, as you'd expect. Well, I would, um, I would think mentally, how could you not be anything but distraught? That's what, that's what I'm thinking with his comments saying, I hope I can get back to where I was. Perhaps that is a bit of his... Him sort of saying how how much he struggled, which is is really sad. Um, this it, this whole a, thing this whole thing also came about. Look, it was stupid of him to do what he did, but it also came about because his assistant trainer took the photo, mm. and then thought it was a great idea to put it on Snapchat. And as you know, just because you put something on Snapchat, it doesn't go away. Um, you know, you put a photo on Snapchat, that can be got. That can be, it can be screen grabbed, it can be saved, it can go into your camera roll. Um, it's almost amazing it didn't come out sooner. Mm. But what he did say in the interview with Richie Forrestal is that while his assistant trainer and, and uh, Gordon and his assistant trainer have been best friends since they were 12. And he said they go a long way back and he said it was stupid of him to take the photo, but he wouldn't have taken the photo if he wasn't doing the stupid thing of sitting on the horse in the first place. So they both have yeah. to live with it. Exactly. The moral of the story is it shouldn't have happened, should it? No. Um, well, I just I don't think he's been away long enough, um, in my personal opinion, but you don't know um, how mentally he, he's been affected by it, which I'm sure is, he has been. So it's going to be a big um, hill for him to climb in, in that respect. But I still don't think... I still think he's very talented as a trainer. I don't think that's that certainly won't disappear. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, he is a very, it's very well known in Irish racing and, and in the UK as well for those who've seen him at Cheltenham and, and at Aintree that he is a work hard, play hard attitude to life. And that can be, that can be great in the sense that if you work extremely hard for success and then you get it, you celebrate it. But it can yeah. also really be detrimental. And this is an instance where it it clearly was because this was, ultimately, this is poor decision-making. Ultimately, this is... And this is someone who, in the space of a decade and a half, emerged from nowhere to become the greatest threat to Willie Mullins and his crown. He's trained or over 1,800 winners, 32 of those at the Cheltenham Festival. And his first win was the Grand National with Silver Birch in 2007. He's since won with the brilliant Tiger Roll, um, hopping over those fences, winning twice, uh, twice in a row. Um, so... And I wonder if Gordon was, if none of this had happened, if Tiger Roll would have run in the Grand National. 
if the the O'Leary team wouldn't have taken that kind of PR move of going, oh, well, we're going to run him in. If you're going to handicap him that high, we're going to run him in a grade one and prove you wrong. Um, whereas, because the story would have been Denise Foster and it would have also been Gordon, but Denise Foster would have been the one getting the glory as opposed to Gordon getting the glory. I just wonder if that had a part in that. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I don't know. Might have done with Michael O'Leary. Yeah, uh. Michael's a very strong... He's he's a genius, and he's one of the best CEOs... Whether you love him or hate him, he's one of the best CEOs that the world of business has ever seen. He's built the world's largest airline, and it'll only get bigger as long as he's around. And... Um, He's been hugely successful, and he has a very practical approach to it. And I think him leaving racing is is devastating. I think I really am very disappointed that he's walking away from the game. And the reason he's walking away from the game is because, unlike Hamdan El Maktoum, who has a, a daughter who loves racing, his kids have no interest in. His, it, he's won everything. He's won everything in racing. And his kids have zero interest in it. So he's like, I'm not going to do it. I've won all of. I can win. I'm out. They don't want to. They don't want to be involved. I'm not leaving it to them, and I, I'm blown away by that. Um, but that's the way it is, and so he he goes. Uh, he's he he did an immense damage to racing, so I wonder what the reaction will be when Gordon inevitably trains his first winner back. Uh, let's say his the first horse he saddles is a winner. How do you think that's going to be received? Probably mixed emotions for most people, won't it? Uh, there'll, there'll be the people like the staff that are delighted to see um, him have success again. Um, and then there'll be people, obviously, the majority of onlookers that will be uh, very bitter, I'd have thought. Yeah. Well, that kind of sums up Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> there's There's people who like you. And there's people who absolutely hate you. And it's almost, that's how it's been since lockdown. Like, there's no middle ground anymore. If you tweet out, oh, well done, Gordon. You know, what a great win. I guarantee you're going to get bollocked. You will get f***ed up on social media. My own thought is we all need to move on. We all just need to kick on now. He's back and that's it. If you want to hate him, hate him. But we all need to move on with things. Um, who I have a much more serious issue with is Stephen Mann. Jesus, <sighs> um, this is this is depressing reading. So, technically speaking, what's come out in Stephen Mann getting a four-year ban? and uh, having it reduced by six months, it's technically correct that the IHRB did that because there was a piece of evidence that shouldn't have been there. However, this all stems back. Why would someone get a... Why did Gordon get a six-month ban and this guy gets a four-year ban? Well, here's why. 11 horses, including seven who were found to be inadequately cared for, were just dumped in a field. Um, 
he was also found to have neglected a horse who had returned to training as of April 13th, but was actually let off to grass without the trainer notifying the IHRB. I wonder, did he, did he notify the owners? Or did he continue tra- charging fees? Uh, don't know. Um, there was an incident with uh, a horse who IHRB veterinary officer Sarah Ross stated that um, one horse had a chronic and obvious injury believed to have been by her uh, to have been present for weeks as opposed to days. The animal is said to have been in pain for longer than should have been the case if proper standards were observed. That's the horse that he dumped in a field. Um, He also in 2008, and he objected to this being put on the record and being brought into the case. But in 2008, he was suspended for four months and fined a thousand euro after a horse was discovered to have been neglected to such an extent that she had eaten her own legs, which meant that she could no longer stand So she was lying down for 12 weeks before she was eventually euthanized. He is still in the game. He is working with Pat Kelly, who trains in who knows where, somewhere in Galway, in a secretive island in a bunker. Uh, Who knows? But he is working with him. And Amy Lynham, who continues to be one of the great ambassadors for our sport on social media was making the point on Twitter that she was disgusted that this guy was banned from being a trainer for four years yet could take up a job with Pat Kelly and be his traveling head lad and move horses that were with him to Pat Kelly. I don't know why you'd want anything to be associated with him. That is my opinion. My opinion is I don't know why you'd want to be associated with him. The opinion of the IHRB is to give him a four-year ban and then, because of a technicality, reduce it by six months. But that is not over because there is now another incident where, as the authorized representative and traveling head lad, he was involved in an incident on the 18th of July where he's alleged to have interfered, and this is alleged to have interfered with a post-race sampling of Stormy, a horse that he previously trained. It was the 11-year-old's first start for Pat Kelly. He finished third. The veterinary assistant on the day was Avina O'Keefe, and she stated that Mahan was insisting that she turn the tumbler used to collect the urine sample upside down to prove that there was nothing in it prior to the sample being taken. I mean, that's some tinfoil hat shit right there. Like the IHRB are sorry to get you, they're going to put a doped sample in. Uh, that has been referred to Dennis Egan, who's the chief executive of the IHRB, but there's no date for that case yet. So this guy's still in the game. Um... I don't think he'll ever be a trainer again, Lucy, because what will happen in three and a half years' time now 
is he will have to apply for his license. And there is no world in which the BHA, BHA, there's no world in which the IHRB go, yes, we see you as a fit and proper person to be in command of racehorses. But I'm amazed that he wasn't kicked out of the game in 2008. Uh, it's, yeah, it's terrible on all aspects, isn't it? Uh, like you say, very surprising that he, he probably wouldn't get a training license again, especially after that incident where he's supposedly tampered with a urine sample. He shouldn't really be anywhere near racehorses, in my opinion. Uh, I think, as you say, they've, again, they've been very lenient, the fact that they've allowed him to carry on um, working in the industry. I think there's plenty of jobs he could find and source elsewhere and sort of he shouldn't really be allowed to be anywhere near racehorses, in my opinion. Why was he not warned off? This is something that the IA, uh, sorry, the IHRB should be held against, really, shouldn't they? Yeah. I think they're just so lenient um, to allow him. I think they didn't want to ruin his livelihood. That was the thing, wasn't it? But I think it's it's just, yeah, it's just terrible on all aspects. It, um, it truly they, is. They They've given him a chance to work in the industry, and then he—that's backfired again. So they do look pretty, um, pretty silly. The IHRB. They really do. Um, yeah. And and I think that you know Dennis Egan can try and spin that in any way he wants, but that's the reality of it. You do look quite silly at the end of all of this because yeah. you had an opportunity to throw a guy out. Yeah. Back in two thousand and eight, you didn't take it. Um, you then had another opportunity after. 11 horses are neglected to completely throw them out and you again haven't taken that shot. Why mm. ha- Why haven't you done that? And now we're in an incident where, again, he has to go before the IHRB, another yeah. disciplinary panel. And is that going to be the, the time where the IHRB finally go, you're gone? You can't work with Pat Kelly. We don't care. We don't care about this. We don't give a damn. This is about the integrity of racing. It's about the welfare of racehorses. We're... We are the nation of horses, right? Ireland is known on a global scale for its success in horse racing. But if you Google Ireland horse racing right now, you're seeing the Gordon Elliott story. You're seeing Charles Burns is just about to return from his ban. In fact, he's able to make entries today. And you're seeing the Stephen Mann story. And instead, we should be celebrating the likes of Aidan O'Brien and the likes of... Uh, Willie Mullins and Henry de Bromhead and Rachel Blackmore and Davy Russell's making his comeback. You've got uh, Jessica Harrington. You have all of these incredibly talented, Noel Mead, all of these incredibly talented trainers, Donnick O'Brien, uh, Joseph, obviously, as well, uh, who have succeeded on the world stage. Breeders. Yeah. Like Khaled Abdullah, God rest him, and um, Sheikh Hamdan al Maktoum. Having stud farmers in Ireland because they know they went. You have to have a stud farm in Ireland because the the soil in Ireland is so good. The nutrients in Ireland are so good. You have to breed horses there. That is the place to do it in. Vincent O'Brien knew that. John Magner knew that. They built an empire out of it. And yes, they have stud farms in America and Australia, but that's a commercial thing. Their headquarters are Ireland. In Bolger as well. Everything he's done for Irish racing. Great shout. Dermot Weld. Yeah. 
um, you can carry on, couldn't you? But we're we're not. That's that's not the the conversation at the, at the moment, and it's not because we don't want it to be. It's because of this bloody nonsense. So you know, let's get back to celebrating the likes of Rachel Blackmore and uh, Oshin Murphy and other great characters and eradicate people like this from the game. I'm sorry. There's n- there's no defense for that. A horse ate her own legs. Jesus Christ. They shouldn't be anywhere near animals, let alone racehorses. I wouldn't let them near a greyhound. I wouldn't let them I wouldn't let him I wouldn't let him manage an ant farm, let alone no. a racehorse. The thing is, I think it's the sports governing bodies. They just need to get much tougher, Emmett. I think um they're very scared. The BHA are the same and the the IHRB as well. They're very scared to lose funding and lose money and the prestige of horse racing, but they're not doing themselves any favours. I think if this man was um not involved in horse racing, say if this was a an animal cruelty case, he certainly wouldn't be allowed anywhere near. He wouldn't be even allowed to own an animal. Be locked up. It. Yeah, he wouldn't be allowed to own any animals. So um the fact he's still being allowed to work with them is, is just so wrong. I wonder if this actually stems from the IHRB still living in a world in which they think about newspaper headlines and yeah. how how do you keep something out of the news or that you look at, at what's going to be in the Racing Post and the Times and the Guardian and we just got to get past a week of that and it's gone. That's well, not the world that- anymore. You know, the, the world is a digital world now and everything is there for everybody to see and everybody can voice their opinion freely on various social media platforms, be that Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Right, it's up to you where you voice your, your concerns. And I don't think the IHRP and the BHA are thinking like that. I, don't, I think that they are still in an analog world and that means... But, um, I don't think the BHA and the IHRB are necessarily thinking headlines. I think it's more the media outlets are, so the Racing Post, et cetera, et cetera. Talk to um, me. Explain the, that to me. Well, no, they're the ones that need all the clickbait, aren't they? Um, these media outlets mm. like the Racing So it's not necessarily the BHA and the IHRB, I don't think, that are thinking in that respect. Um, it's more than the news outlets that are latching on to what they're doing, the authorities, to then create a negative story which unfortunately will create a lot more clickbait than perhaps a good story will which is very unfortunate so obviously the Stephen Mann story is a very important one that needs to be told which is why we're talking about it and it's why it's in the Racing Post but are you then referring to BBC's Panorama documentary are you referring to some of the stuff that the Racing Post have done regarding the Prokush well that's it I think um, outlets like that, obviously BBC or any newspapers, sometimes, and journalists, sometimes they think the best stories are often the negative stories or the stories that are going to grasp the attention of any readers or onlookers. You're going to get more people um, listening, watching, um, clicking, if it's quite a shocking story, aren't you, necessarily, than um, something that's successful. Daily Mail Tactics. That's a very interesting take on it. Prince of Aaron, who ran at the weekend, has been retired. So he was runner-up in the last two Melbourne Cups, 2019 and 2020. Um, Third in 2018. Sorry, runner-up in 2019. Let's get this right. Third in 2018 and 2020. Um, 
ran at the weekend two point over two million pounds in prize money and has been retired, but has been retired for a very unusual reason, Lucy. With the Australian um, governing body of racing, Racing Victoria, isn't it, that have put in new um, rules and regulations to have horses um, x-rayed or MRI'd and if there's any um, thing untoward on their x-rays or MRI's and the horse is not allowed to run um, in the race itself in the Melbourne Cup so I think that opens up a huge can of worms I was we were just talking before we actually recorded this podcast weren't we Emmett I think um, with with not just racehorses with anything with us if you x-rayed or MRI'd our bodies there will be changes in our in our uh, there'll be changes everywhere there'll be um arthritic changes there'll be soft tissue changes there'll be um all sorts of bone changes i'd have thought i think it's just completely opening up a can of worms um to be quite honest can you imagine um, looking at an mri of my body you'd go oh my god how does that man live jesus christ ah we, we still function emmett don't we that's that's the thing we still function Play, play through the pain, play through the pain. Exactly. And that's, so this is the whole issue. And I actually discussed this on Look on Sunday um, because he had a, a Nick and um, his production team had booked a veterinary expert to talk about it. And he was extremely concerned uh, about this. And, and he is an, a native Australian. Uh, very, very concerned about the use of MRI machines on racehorses because Racehorses will obviously suffer some sort of wear and tear, as you and I do. I mean, you've been thrown from a racehorse um, in, in your work, and that's going to leave a mark. And that's not just the bruise. It's going to leave some sort of lasting impact internally. Uh, you'll recover from it, but you know that's going to be there. Um, so if you did an MRI, if you compared and contrast an MRI from five years ago, and you've been thrown from a horse five times in that, period of time and one of them resulted in an injury obviously your mri is going to look drastically different if a racehorse who has traveled the world and has had injuries and has been very well cared for and looked after and sorted out is then being mri'd and it shows a niggle even a niggle racing victoria like oh no and there's a part of me that understands this which is you don't want a repeat of an Anthony Van Dyke situation. But the problem is, if you never take a chance, you'll never know. And nobody set out with the intention of doing any harm to Anthony Van Dyke. It was just a tragedy that happened in a race, and that is the nature of racing. People get killed in racing. The Australians know that better than anybody, because uh, tragically, it happens a lot there. Um, it happens in Australia more than it happens in, in the UK and Ireland. God between us and all harm. But work riders, jockeys have lost their lives because racehorses are incredibly powerful. And inevitably, racehorses have broken down as well. And it's a sad thing to see, and it's terrible, but you're almost giving in to the likes of Peter who only want the destruction of our sport, and that's it, uh, when you implement these kind of measures. So I... I don't understand it. And it's gone from Charlie Fellows, who loves this horse, talking about 
how excited he was to running him in the Melbourne Cup to this year realizing they weren't going to be able to do it and to retiring him because they won't be able to run him next year either. And it becomes an age thing. And you even have someone like Aidan O'Brien going, not doing it. Not we're not we're not sending our horses over there this, this year. There is a former Raiden O'Brien horse who's going to go over, um, who's now with Joseph. But Twilight Payment is the same age as Prince of Arran. And I'm pretty certain he's going to defend his crown. Unless, of course, there's something spotted in an MRI. Um, so I don't understand how you can, how they can justify this. But the, I think the Australians are going down a very, very dangerous road that, that there is mm. no coming back from. Uh, I think people would be moaning, though, Emmett, if they didn't do anything. This is the thing. So I know they've probably gone quite far with their measures. Um, but obviously their measures started off with them um, sort of not restricting, but asking overseas runners to um, run in Australia before the Melbourne Cup, didn't they? So that was one measure that they put in place to try and prevent injuries in the race. And then this is another measure now, which is arguably gone a bit too far. But I do think, I just wonder whether people would be complaining if, if Racing Victoria didn't do anything as well. Yeah, um, but then but, then again, do we have that level of complaints in Ireland and in the UK? Like, I know that we are fighting a fight against Peter mm-hmm. and the likes, but are we facing that kind of scrutiny here? Like, is, is there a call from trainers and a call from breeders and owners to say, hey, if the Australians have an MRI machine, why don't we have one? No. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't look that way, does it at all? They're I not, think it being they're not doing it in America either, and the Americans, Santa Anita actually invited Peter to to the table, which was oof, what a mistake that was. Um, now they had a they had a real issue, and they were probably quite desperate. Uh, they had their safety record was was appallingly bad, but they they have managed to turn things around. It must be said, but I don't see any other jurisdiction going down this this route. I don't see any, any other jurisdiction uh, doing things as drastically as the Australians are, and yet other jurisdictions are as adamant that what we need to do is everything that we can for the horse. Mm. So every every jurisdiction is taking like the French, the British and the Irish, um, and our friends overseas in America are doing everything that we respectively can to ensure that the racehorse is treated paramount. But no one's going the same way as the Australians. They seem to be just like, the Japanese aren't. Um, To my knowledge, it's not being done in Hong Kong. So it's, they're they're furrowing a a lone track and it's, it's dangerous in my view. I think they just have that problem with that one race don't they Emmett I think it'd be incredibly hard to um, operate on a scale of MRIs for every horse for every race or anything like that I think that'd be incredibly hard to operate so I think they're just going down the route that just that one race aren't they Mm. which is um, incredibly incredibly sad but uh, it's it's incredibly sad the way they're they're sort of not stopping, but it's it's putting off in, o- overseas runners. So 
it is incredibly sad in that respect. Yep, it's the race to substitution, and it's not going to have Charlie Appleby, 2018 winning trainer, and it's not going to yeah. have Aidan O'Brien. So the two powerhouses of of uh, owners in Godolphin and Bally Doyle will and Coolmore will not be sending their main trainers representatives. They're not taking part. They're like, nope, not doing it. And but, and uh, that's not just Melbourne Cup. That's Spring Carnival. They're out. Nope. Not doing it. But Prince of Aaron does retire um, healthy and happy, which is good, and retires with an incredible amount of prize money. <laughs> yeah, two million pounds in prize money is ridiculous. <laughs> won that much. Um, um, yeah, and anyway. and his successes mostly came from placing down under. Um, yeah. Who was your highlight of the weekend? Oh, um, yeah, Emma Atiana was fantastic. But I did, I, on a, another side of Charlie Fellows, obviously he'd be disappointed with Prince Aaron, but he'll be absolutely thrilled with Eve Lodge. I thought she was a very impressive two-year-old winner at Kempton. That's a really good show. Eve Lodge looks very exciting. And yeah, her, I think she impressed a lot of people. Yeah, a horse to take really seriously going forward. Um I'm incredibly boring and go with Baid. I just love it when a horse is set a task yeah. and they manage to go and achieve their aim because it's, mm. you know, we, we've seen this often enough that, that this is one of the reasons why I was backing Order of Australia. We've seen it often enough that horses just bomb. Like they're given the opportunity, they take it and oh, fall flat in the face. Um, and he didn't. He passed. And I thought he passed with flying colours, despite the, he should have won my further. Ugh. Jesus Christ, these beaten group one winners, what do you want? Um, that's it. We're back on Thursday, as uh, Rory will be here with the weekend winners. Uh, Lucy's back on Monday, and uh, Lucy and I are both on TalkSport. TalkSport 2 during the week, I believe. Uh, I'm on Friday, and um, check the show out. It's Wednesday to Friday, Wednesday to Saturday from 1pm. Uh, with the great and powerful Lee McKenzie and um, some big-name guests as well. Oh, speaking of big-name guests, I should say we're coming back a little bit earlier than with Rory with a big-name guest. But anyway, we'll talk more about that at the time. Um, until then, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, tuning in? the hell is that? Radio talk? Thanks very much for downloading, streaming, or whatever, uh, listening on your smart speaker. You can do that, by the way, if you've got an Apple HomePod, you could just say, hey, Siri, play the Final Four on podcast. And she'll do it straight away. Um, don't know how you do it on Alexa, but I'm sure it's something similar. Hey, Alexa, play the Final Four on podcast. Everyone's Alexas just went nuts. They all went mad. Uh, so, Lucy, until next time, pleasure as always. Thanks, Remit. Speak soon, yeah. And stay safe. And um, I will take my COVID head and uh, that I thinking I have, and uh, go and binge watch some TV. Oh, by the way, go and see Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, if you haven't yet. Um, I must emphasize that when I was in the cinema, I did not know that I was, hang on a second, I don't feel well. And it's actually since I came out of the cinema that I don't feel well. So maybe you shouldn't go and see it, actually. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, uh, no one coughed throughout the entire... There was no sound. It was the busiest theatre I have been in 
I've seen Tenant in the cinema. I've seen um, oh, all kinds of different films. And like they're Fast and Furious. I was the only person in there. Literally. Free Guy was the only person in the cinema. When, and that was opening night. And it was the big screen. No one was going. This is Ireland right now. This is what Ireland is like right now. But for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings in the galactic screen, it was packed. You know, obviously, there's social distancing in place and a lot of it, but every seat that could be occupied was taken. And it's brilliant. It's a great film and stay for the end credit scenes. Uh, TV series, what are you watching right now? Oh, me, Emmett, sorry. Yeah, of course. Um, oh, you're asking the wrong person. I'm hopeless. <sighs> I just watch, I just watch um, sport, really. Which, uh, which is the right answer, by the way. <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, I do need a, I do need a good TV series. So any recommendations? But do you have Apple um, TV Plus? Uh, I do actually on my MacBook Pro. I think the Mosquito Coast. Okay. Uh, Justin Theroux and Melissa George are in it. It's very very good. The Morning Show. Have you seen the Morning Show? No. Oh, you've so much to watch. Jennifer Aniston, <laughs> Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell. Um, okay. It's all based around a morning TV show and a Me Too scandal that blows up. Oh. So it's very good. And season two comes out next week, I think. Is it next week or the week after? So the morning show is highly recommended. Uh, and season two is coming out. And if you're into, are you interested in space? No. Oh, well, that's that balls there. <laughs> um, for those who are, I will just say that also on Apple TV Plus, there's a incredible series called For All Mankind, which is set in an alternate reality where the Russians get to the moon first. And so the space race never stops. It continues. And in fact, it actually escalates. Uh, it's very, very well done. And it's, it has a brilliant ensemble cast, and I would highly recommend that you watch that. And... We're coming up to the, geez, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And there's a film on Netflix, which was released just this week, which stars Michael Keaton and uh, Stanley Tucci and Amy Ryan called Worth. And God, it's powerful. It's really, really good. Um, I watched that last night as I coughed away. And um, it's... If you're somebody who gets emotional at films, you're going to get emotional at this. Um, obviously you are, it's 9-11, but they handle it so well. And Michael Keaton is a phenomenal actor. And um, as is Stanley Tucci, as is Amy Ryan. But it's, it's essentially all about the US government were terrified that what was going to happen was after the tragic attacks and the deaths of 9-11 that there were going to be endless lawsuits to against the airlines to sue for um, that they would blame the airlines and that you would essentially be suing for a person's life worth. So the US government had to come up with a way of First of all, they bailed out the airline airline industry. They rewrote the law like that so that they couldn't sue them. And then they had to come up with some kind of compensation package. So if you've got a CEO and a janitor 
in the same office what value is placed in their life. And it's it starts there and it goes on this journey. And it is incredible. It is incredibly powerful. It is incredibly emotive. And um, it's all true. It's all true. And um, with help from the people who are part of this. So uh, the person that Michael Keaton plays. So watch it. Check that out. And also, if you're looking for something on true stories, um, the hot zone is based on the Ebola outbreak that almost happened in Washington. They were that close to a massive Ebola outbreak of which there is no cure for. Uh, Liam Cunningham, Juliana Margulies, uh, the guy from that 70... Topher Grace, and um, from the Americans, Noah Emmerich. It's a brilliant cast, and there's a second season on the way, which is going to be about... It's the Hot Zone Anthrax. So uh, there's six episodes about that and how they discovered it, um, how they discovered that it had got on US soil and what they had to do. Um, Liam Cunningham is amazing in it. Amazing in it. And I highly recommend that as well. So that's that's on Disney Plus on National Geographic. Or it's actually on Star. National Geographic made it, but for some reason it's on Disney Plus Star. So there you go. There's your TV recommendations. There's your There's your homework, folks. Go do your homework. Come back <laughs> take, with, it, take what you like from it. <laughs> come back with your grades and let us know what you think of the hot zone. For all mankind, the morning show and worth on Netflix. Right, Lucy Russell, you take care. That's it, we're out. Uh, take care, everybody. We'll talk to you with a special guest very soon. Uh, two special guests, in fact. And um, Roy Delarkey, who's in his own right a special guest. Uh, and that's soon on the Final Throne Podcast. Take care, God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Think you can't get better value? Think again. 10% bigger dividends when you bet direct with Tote Plus at tote.co.uk.